Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. This is a super fun rip with uh, with Matt Luago of Thesis and uh, and the TBTC project. Uh, it was really interesting getting the update and then diving headfirst into uh, his very much Bitcoin and Ethereum worldview. Uh, David, how do you think of this? Yeah, this was a really dense episode. So we started just giving it, getting the recap of TBTC and where it is in development. It's, it's had some hiccups getting out the door and, and Matt goes through uh, those hiccups and, and where TBTC is now. And then we turn that into a conversation with how to appropriately manage the spawning of an application on Ethereum, which Matt has opinions about like other uh, DeFi teams building something on Ethereum and in kind of in that same vein of Ethereum's ethos of uh, move fast and break things, which uh, he said is, is overstated and I agree, but also said maybe perhaps not too overstated. But the point being is the TBTC system was an experiment in of itself, not just of tokenized Bitcoin on Ethereum, but also of minimal viable governance. Uh, and so we talk about that and I thought that was really interesting and really fantastic and one of my biggest takeaways for this episode. And then we just go into the meat of the episode, which is why we brought Matt on, which is talking about the contrast between Bitcoin as a monetary platform and Ethereum as a technology platform. Uh, and so we kind of get into the nuances there, uh, talk about some hypothetical uh, versions of the future that could perhaps play out in some tiny ass fractal of the universe uh, and talk and kind of deliberate with, with what that means for the significance of technology and money with these platforms. Before we get into the episode, though, let's talk about Alto IRA. So you guys, Alto is a really great IRA company that gives you access to alternative assets. So you know what an IRA is. It's a savings account that allows you to defer your taxes. Uh, it's great for you know just saving for retirement. But on top of that, um, it's great for traders because you can trade inside of the account and and uh, and not have to deal with the short-term capital gains because you can't actually take the money out of the account until you retire. Um, so with Alto, you they have partnered with Coinbase in order to give you access to that kind of a tax-deferred beneficial account with Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So now you can use everything that Coinbase offers, but have it tax-deferred with an Alto crypto IRA. Um, if that's something that is interesting to you and you want to have Bitcoin in a tax-deferred account, uh, go check out Alto IRA at altoira.com backslash POV crypto. Again, that is altoira.com backslash POV crypto. Make sure to use our link. That's how we get support for this show. And it's important that they know that we sent you there. And without further ado, let's get right into the episode with Matt Luongo. Nothing gets me more excited than having a legitimate Bitcoin and Ethereum or Bitcoin versus Ethereum co conversation. I don't think there's anyone uh, you know better to have on the show for that talk than Matt Luago, uh, founder of Thesis, co-founder of Fold. Uh, no, no. All of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Founder, uh, founder of uh, of uh, TBTC and, and the Keep Project. So breaker of uh, chains. Yeah, but there it is. I like that. That's new. Um, yeah. Thanks for so, having me, guys. <laughs> Matt, welcome. Um, so why don't we start, like, we actually want, we we want to talk about your projects, but we okay. mostly want to talk about your attitude about 
Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh, but why don't we start with a little bit of an introduction about yourself, what you're working on, and maybe even get a status update on TBGC. Yeah, sure. Uh, so let's see, I got involved uh, sort of right before the Gox crash. Um, and so that was my introduction into uh, Bitcoin. And uh, I started a company right around then called, uh, actually at the time it was called Card for Coin, like very obscure. But uh, it eventually became Fold, which is like a Bitcoin L1. And it's very much like, uh, or sorry, Bitcoin 1.0 company. It's very much like of the times that it was started, it was Bitcoin for payments in store. Um, so since then, Bitcoin for payments, that's not really a big narrative in the industry anymore, right? There's still a niche of people who care a lot about it. But um, we saw the writing on the wall with Fold. So I, I kind of like put it on ice a little bit. And I said, I know this is going to be a thing, but not yet. The market's not ready for it. So I started looking for a team that was much better suited, basically, to run it than I was, uh, and uh, and luckily found that. And then in the meantime, uh, I started another project called Keep. Um, I also realized that I might have uh, attention issues, and so we we call uh, we created a parent company that kind of holds all these things for our various uh, experiments. So Fold is uh, Fold is like a Bitcoiners company. Uh, it, it's it's I, I'd probably call it a maxi company. Um, it. Uh, it does. Company. Thank you, sir. Uh, it, it uh, you know, they, they do tech stuff, right? So like they're, they're a big lightning player. Um, but ultimately they're about giving people rewards in Bitcoin, which really plays into narrative of Bitcoin as a store value. So that's kind of its newest thing. Um, keep on the other hand is, is really a hardcore infrastructure project for Ethereum. So I was, I was playing basically with decentralizing Part of our um, company with Fold, and uh, early 2017, you know, I had played with like Omni and Counterparty and all this other stuff on Bitcoin, and so I was like, maybe Ethereum is ready for the sorts of things I I want to build and the marketplaces I want to build. So I got in there, and I I quickly was like, okay, the dev tooling is a little rough. This is a lot better than I expected, but like, where do I put private information? So for Bitcoiners we're all used to thinking about our UTXOs and we all know they're public and you can do things to say, well, you probably can't be certain that this is my UTXO. There's all sorts of deniability discussions. Um, but, you know, we kind of all understand the state of privacy um, and we know that uh, mixers can help, but they're not perfect. In Ethereum though, um, I don't think a lot of people who haven't developed on Ethereum don't quite internalize that every piece of data is on chain, right? Uh, in a way that makes Bitcoiners scream. <laughs> um, so that's also that's very true. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, maybe a little too much data, but uh, and so you can't uh, you can't deal with things like social security numbers in your apps without tying them directly to users. So like, if you want to build something like I don't know a social network, um, Ethereum can help a little, and we've seen projects that do it. But a lot of the things that are interesting between parties, like let's say we wanted to have a private group chat, that's not really something that Ethereum can help you with because um, it's quite difficult. Like where do you put the private data between all of us in a way that's trustworthy? So uh, there's a whole slew of problems like this and I'm not gonna bore you with the list. Uh, it's, it's a lot of stuff, but it's weird stuff. Uh, but it's actually like a pretty core building block of confidentiality infrastructure and smart contracts. So that's Keep um, and while I could talk more about it, I think the most interesting thing is the app that we're building on top of it, which is TBTC. 
So TBTC is the first app on top keep, um, but it's also a Bitcoin sidechain. And I mean that in the strong sense, not in the kind of weak ass sense that we, uh, we started using once Liquid launched. Um, but I actually mean that you can trustlessly peg your Bitcoin on Ethereum and you can, with confidence, um, get back to your Bitcoin. And when I say that, I don't just mean you might. <laughs> I actually mean that you have a censorship way, a censorship resistant way to redeem your BTC. In fact, if you care, you can actually get back to your particular UTXO that you deposited. Uh, so if you have reasons to lend against particular Bitcoin, maybe you care about how new your coin is or something like that. Or if you want to build a mixer or another privacy solution on top, you can do all that with this tech. Um, and so what I love about it is I think what we're about to talk about, I'm taking all these like old craggly Bitcoin ideas that Ethereum's listening to this are like probably really bothered by. And then I'm combining it with what I see is some very basic pragmatism from Bitcoin. Uh, and then also like just a belief in the asset and, and, and uh, what Bitcoin is here for, which for me is, you know, number one, letting us opt out of, uh, of the financial system. And then number two, um, letting us do it in a way that's censorship resistant. So that, that is absolutely the meat of the episode that we're going to get into. But before we get there, let's just do a quick recap of like the sure. progress of TPTC so far and, and where it is today with development. It's had some, yeah. some hiccups getting out the door. So yeah, where, yeah. where are we with that? Like when can we expect TPTC to join in on, on the fun that is on Ethereum? Well, what's the joke? Two weeks? Isn't that what I'm supposed to say? No, um, soon, soon TM. Soon TM. Okay, that's the new one. Got it. Uh, yeah, so, so here's what's uh, happened with TBTC. Um, so we, we built this thing, and one of the bits of baggage that we brought, <laughs> or innovations, think of it how you want, from Bitcoin is that um, I don't really like this pattern of upgradability that a lot of Ethereum smart contract um, authors subscribe to. I appreciate that people want to save user funds, but what I'm seeing in the DeFi space is a whole bunch of projects with admin keys that still lose user funds. So like they have full upgradability and lose, users lose all their money. So it's like, what are you really uh, getting out of this other than maybe like a way to like hand wave regulators off you, right? So um, that's garbage. Uh, and I, I appreciate, there are some people that are incredibly thoughtful about it. So if you look at a team like Compound, I have a ton of respect. They, they, didn't, they didn't come from it, the problem the same direction that I have uh, or that our team has, but I have a ton of respect for how they've kind of balanced the centralized versus decentralized concern in a way that's led to user security. Um, the balance that we chose to strike was, was kind of Bitcoin governance, right? So uh, voice or exit. <laughs> if you don't like the system, just split. Uh, we can't upgrade it. Um, and so what we tried to find is a good balance for, uh, for what we could do. So the few things that we left ourselves, it's nice, I can name them because there are five of them. Uh, we can uh, update the uh, signer fee amount. Uh, so that was very hard to make market discoverable in the first uh, version of the protocol. Uh, we can update the lot sizes, so the amounts that you're allowed to deposit. Um, we can update, we can, we can uh, add a backup price feed. So we can't replace the price feed, but with 90 day user notice, we can say, we think this is a good price feed if the other one craps out. Uh, and then and, uh, the last one is we can impact, uh, we can change the collateralization ratios. But every single one of those things I just named, is behind a two to 90 day governance delay and it only impacts new deposits. So if you already have Bitcoin in the system, you know, we can't tamper with it. 
But there's one other thing that we left ourselves, uh, which uh, we called emergency pause deposit. Uh, and so to make what happened really short and simple, there was emergency, so we paused deposits. Um, so this last, this last uh, admin function that we left ourselves was in the case of a zero day. So the problem with releasing new immutable code, and, and this happened with Bitcoin as well, is that out of nowhere there can be uh, an exploit that wasn't disclosed carefully and uh, you really don't have a way to change the code. Now in the case of Bitcoin, if there's a zero date, we can still hard fork. But in the case of TPTC on Ethereum, you're in a DAO situation where I have to convince Ethereans that it is worth hard forking to save my particular application. And you know what they've learned <laughs> and they don't think that's the case, you know? So, um, so we pressed the button. So two days in uh, to our launch, we started doing some tests on mainnet. Uh, and then uh, one of our engineers found an issue that we missed in testing. And, uh, and so we caught it, we hit the button, uh, pulled the cord, however you want to think of it. And we told people to stop depositing money. Um, the system paused for 10 days, which was programmed in, and then it reopens. And that gave us 10 days to let everyone know what was up, make sure funds were recovered. Um, you know, at that point there was like 12 BTC. So we reached out to every single person that we knew was depositing. And we got, we're down to like half a Bitcoin. And I think it's someone on the teams. So, um, so yeah, so uh, all things considered, and this might sound weird, I'm stoked. <laughs> uh, we had an incident that lost no users money that happened two days in, and it was kind of the best possible thing that could have happened other than maybe uh, that I found out at like midnight on a Sunday and uh, it would have been nice if it had been like, you know, bright and early or something, right, <laughs> but otherwise, right. yeah. So I, I, so I'm really happy with how it went. Um, I'm obviously, I don't want there to be bugs and there will always be bugs, which makes immutability really difficult, but um, I'm proud of our team. I think we've improved uh, our internal processes quite a bit since then. And it's given us an opportunity to get two more audits. Uh, so now we're, we're at three, which is nice. So I think this is like a really underappreciated story in the world of Ethereum development and governance, right? Because like what you guys elected for, the changes that you guys uh, chose to keep, mainly that big one where you pause the system for 10 days, the big red button, uh, it's an experiment in minimal viable governance, right? It's like we are going to retain the minimum amount of things to make sure that we are safely retaining users' funds and then also doing what's best for the protocol without having to compromise anything any further. And it, it worked, right? Like if, this if, <laughs> if this wasn't, if, if aside from the fact that this is experiment is a tokenized version of uh, Bitcoin on Ethereum, it's also an experiment with how best to spin up a, an application on Ethereum. And I would say that that was a successful experiment. I mean, I think so. Like, I don't want to move from, hey guys, there's a bug and I'm shutting this thing down to like triumphalism too fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I am I am happy. This was not a DeFi $25 million goes poof right. story. This right. was a team is staring at our metrics and sees an issue and shuts it down within mm -hmm. two and a half hours story and, and loses no money. So I'm, I'm quite pleased. I'd say, you know, what's interesting about the minimal viable governance experiment. I agree. It's an experiment, but uh, there is a whole class of bugs that we can't catch with this right. governance, right? So um, in particular, this pause pauses new deposits mm -hmm. because I don't want us to have any sort of kill right. switch, even a temporary right. kill switch. Right. So all this can do is stop people from putting more money at risk. 
if there's money in the pot and and the zero days in the wild, it could get drained. So that's mm -hmm. also what's interesting about this is like it's a pretty sharp, uh, it's a pretty sharp tool. And you know, I think if we have another issue, people will probably say that was dumb. And if we have no other issues, people will probably say it's brilliant. So like, you know, we'll we'll find out. So what's next for TBTC? Is there a date for trying to relaunch the contract or what uh, where are so, we at now? So I mean I'm trying to be super chill about this. Two weeks, uh, right? Two weeks. I'm trying to be super <laughs> chill about this. We're calling it the release candidate one because we needed to have something other than our fuck up for <laughs> referring to release candidate zero. Um, so for RC1 for the redeploy, uh, so we have uh, ETH only staking that starts the eighth. Um, what that means is that uh, outside of just our token, outside of the uh, you know new asset that we've created that uh, lets people basically opt in to signing for the system, um, we also want any Ethereum to be able to get involved. So uh, the TBTC launch will closely coincide with that. Um, I think what I'm going to do is try to get a little tricky and line it up so that right when ETH only staking happens, we have like a day and then TBTC has its first, the two days, there's a really low cap for us to do internal testing. So no one gets around us like last time. And then, uh, and then I think on probably the following Monday, we'll have a launch, but uh, I'm being incredibly sketch about this date because I don't want people to rush in, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I do want people to go slowly. I think one of the big changes we made that is really hard to stomach as a founder who wants to grow something, but as a security professional was absolutely necessary is we added a supply cap schedule. So even when we do open, you'll only be able to deposit 100 BTC for 30 days. After that 250, after that 500. We had 1,000 after that, but then we like talked to some people and there's really, once you're at 1,000 BTC, you might as well just go uncapped because you've already got three months of, of security. Um, and that's been really hard too because the Bitcoiners I know are like, oh, bravo, that's like the right thing to do. And then the Ethereans I know are like, oh man, you're gonna get crushed. <laughs> Everyone else is just gonna run all ahead and, and you're gonna be stuck at 100 BTC. So I do appreciate how this is kind of breaking down uh, what Ethereum people would, or what has been labeled as uh, like move fast and break things uh, culture in Ethereum, right? Like, well, well, I think that maybe that claim is, is not- Probably overstated, yeah probably overstated but this the, this example here is definitely the the opposite of move fast and break things it's yeah. it's move slow and and you know dot your dot your eyes across your t's right uh and so That's like right. bringing that sort of attitude from the bitcoin ethos onto ethereum and like like we've been talking about successfully you know asterisk successfully <laughs> uh you know ran this experiment and showing that future teams building something on ethereum can remove themselves from liability some amount of liability yeah. by following this sort of ethos so that that in itself i think is an extremely valuable contribution to the space i appreciate that i mean yeah that, i do think that's noteworthy um my lawyer does not endorse this and i'm not your lawyer but if you want to decentralize the system one of the benefits if you're a commercial entity is removing your liability so if you leave yourself all of these admin keys, you know, you can say, well, technically I'm not a money transmitter or technically this side or the other, but at the end of the day, you know, if enough users get hurt, you're going to find yourself liable. Like regulators don't sit on that. And um, so, you know, when we as engineers on the Ethereum side, that's not always where we're coming from on the Bitcoin side, but as engineers, 
we look at, at, at legal and regulatory concerns and we say, no, look at this, I've come up with something so clever, look at this great hack. And the regulator sees the rationale and they just laugh because um, that's not how they work. <laughs> they don't care what your clever hack is. So, so yeah, I think actually giving up power, like what are we decentralizing in this space? Power, and that means that you need to give up your admin keys and they need to be as restricted as possible. So I would like to get your take on maybe expanding to the greater Ethereum contract space. Like you kind of mentioned that, like, do you see a world or do you see use cases where holding onto admin keys is justified? Like, um, like talk to us about like how you go about kind of thinking about the, 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 the the bigger space. Yeah. Um, well for me, if what you're building is, uh, what you're building is custodial, I'm not interested. Like, it's just not, I mean, I'm, there might be some things that are still interesting that are custodial. Like, you know, people can argue, well, the transparency is new. Well, we didn't even know that hack happened at BlockFi. We had to rely on some emails, but here everyone sees it. So I, I do think that there's some, um, there's some benefit to maintaining centralized fallback control uh, while sort of like requiring the transparency of being on chain. Uh, but I think what we're going to see over the next few years is that most of the stuff that people like that's transparent on Ethereum, it, it bloats the state too much. So this is me totally putting on my engineer hat and just uh, just aside from all the philosophy stuff, um, a lot of the most fun things about Ethereum are going to have to be pushed in a proof system. And then there's not going to be like an EtherScan interface for many years at least that makes it as easy as we're used to now. So, um, so I think that argument's going to go away. And so then what you're left with is how confident are you in the system? What have you told users it does? What does it actually do? What do you owe these people? Do you owe these people anything? It's their money. You let them, you know, look at the code. And and we're talking really about a fiduciary responsibility. Yeah, is that right? And and I mean, like, definitely if you're talking to a lawyer or a regular, no, of course not. But uh, I mean, if you're just like a human, like if you if you build something really dangerous and you leave it in a public place, you're probably going to feel bad when someone gets hurt. Right. And so, so separate from all the legal stuff, um, I personally think that most admin keys need to have a path to being gotten rid of. Uh, and this might've been more controversial recently, but there's a new business model in Ethereum, which is to get rid of your admin keys by decentralizing them. So, um, you know, luckily, uh, luckily it pays to have governance tokens these days for better or worse. We'll see how it goes. Do we, do we want to talk about governance tokens at all or should we get into a huge rabbit hole? <laughs> yeah, what's your, what's your quick take there without going down the rabbit hole? When we peer over that rabbit hole, what do you see? Seems overvalued. Um, I understand that our space is driven by bubbles and I'm happy to ride it. Fair enough. All right, cool. No, it's right. totally, totally overvalued. We now have two governance tokens that are worth over a billion dollars. Pretty, uh, I mean, it's cool. And yeah, that came out of the crazy. gate in the last like month, right? So yeah. Um, and I'm a big fan, by the way, both, both Compound and Balancer are, are cool projects, so. Yeah, cool. But man. Uh, would you call that decentralization theater? Oh man, you just went straight for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the distribution. It depends on the distribution. If these, if these, I, I don't actually know. I haven't uh, dug in. I, I don't own either asset, and so I haven't done diligence on them. But um, you know, is the public going to own twenty five percent, fifty percent, seventy five percent? 
1%. So it's 46 for uh, compound. And then okay. the rest is divvied up between teams, the, the team and VCs. Okay, so I guess in Compound's case, you're giving people and an kind of an analog to like minority shareholder rights. So I guess they can sure. break ties if the, mm -hmm. if the big group disagrees. So, mm -hmm. okay, that's interesting. It's not mm -hmm. the same as like giving it up to four different, but yeah, sure, that's interesting. Maybe however, theater, I don't know. However, a, a decent amount of the remaining 54% is vested and cannot vote. Uh, and then also A16Z, uh, is going to dump at some point, right? And so that's also going to bring bring that that diffusion into into the public sphere at some point. Well, that, that's why Coinbase well, is listing immediately, right? Oh, I mean, they're vested too for a specific amount of time. I don't know how long. I should carefully say that um, that Andreessen Horowitz is a supporter of Keep Project, and I have no idea how they trade. But uh, interesting take. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's let, let's get into the meat of the episode. Uh, really, you you have a, a an opinion about Bitcoin and Ethereum more. Bitcoin as a money and Ethereum as a technology platform. I, sure. I there are very few people that are publicly kind of like staunchly in both camps. I'm just kind of curious how you came about this uh, mental model and kind of explain that a little bit further. Uh, well, circle round. Uh, I'll try to not get too rambly, but uh, you know I think. Part of it was just that I got in the space early enough that I identify heavily um, with the Bitcoin side. And I came in as a, um, what would Dan Held call me? Like a shitcoin big blocker or something. So like, I'm not like, you know, perfectly, I don't, I don't pass the purity test anymore. Um, but I, so, so my experience in Bitcoin was that I was in Bitcoin for payments. I liked the bank, the unbanked. Eventually, I grew up enough to realize that I don't really know what the unbanks need, and also the tech is very difficult to scale. Um, but I, but I did become really interested in uh, the monetary theory and the economics because, for me, it's not really about um, Keynesian and Hayek and all. I, that's all interesting, but for me, it's about liberty, right, and individual choice. And um, you know, I was. Um, both privileged and occasionally unhappy to have been born in the US. So that means that I'm using this money. And there's a lot of things that just come with being born in a place. So I'm lucky to be born in a great place, but a lot of people aren't. And so I think the fact that they're stuck using the local currency where regimes can exploit them, um, can, can dilute to fund whatever sort of things they want, I think that's terrible. And I think that it's, um, yeah, so, so for me, Bitcoin became it's both like free speech money and like one day I hope dissident money. Um, but then it's also opting out of your local circumstance and kind of getting to have more choice in your life, including the monetary policy that you're subjected to. So I think that's kind of how I align. Um, but how I got to Ethereum was interesting because I was a big blocker for a long time. I'm not anymore to be clear. Uh, but I was, and I supported, let's see, I supported like Bitcoin Classic and like all the old stuff. Um, Roger Burr is an investor way back in the day in Fold. Uh, we have tried to pry him off the cap table since, um, and and he won't do it. But um, so like, you know, I, that's kind of my background. But then when Segwit2x happened, I drew a line. Um, because what I saw happening in Bitcoin is first that I'd seen these factions pulling at each other. And uh, people love to be like small block and big block. That's actually not what was going on. 
what was going on was you had people who cared about uh, some people who cared about sound money very deeply. I'd say that's probably the most passionate group. You had people who cared about um, the cypherpunk ideals that they thought were realizable today. And for them, that was um, validation. So keeping like validation of the chain uh, cheap and something that we could all do. Um, and then on the other side, there were Silicon Valley companies and New York companies. So there was tech and finance, but like grow fast tech and finance. Um, there was, uh, you know, folks who kind of just saw Bitcoin as a tech startup. Um, and then there was also folks who like some of them were like, oh, securities on chain are cool. So there's like the counterparty and Omni folks. There are a couple other groups. These groups are all tearing at each other. And you see like, it's not just the block wars. You, you saw it like some of Luke Dash Jr.'s stuff with standardness where he basically kicked out some of the security on chain folks by making little changes that no one understood in the protocol. And then whoops, they're gone. Um, so anyway, so we have this big thing happening and I'm looking at both these sides. And at the end of the day, what it came down to is um, that a lot of the things on the right, a lot of the things uh, in this camp that was pulling for bigger blocks just weren't realizable on Bitcoin, on the Bitcoin chain yet. Um, and, and that I would rather save censorship resistance and sound money and then, uh, and then walk with the technology than I would kind of ruin all of it by trying to enforce this tech narrative on Bitcoin, which, you know, I don't think it necessarily needs. Anyway, long-winded, but, and then I found Ethereum. Yeah. So, so let's carry right into there. So like, why, why are you a Bitcoiner who also likes Ethereum? Yeah. So, uh, I'm a, I'm a tech optimist. So, um, when you hear me talk about the two assets, one is my life savings, uh, to be clear, that's Bitcoin. I know that's a real surprise, but the other is like, it's like holding Tesla, right? Like, why do I hold Ether? Well, this could be really interesting. Maybe it's overvalued, maybe it's under, um, but if you believe in the tech, perhaps it will find a way to capture the value of its, uh, of its usage. So, um, so that's one part, but the other part is just, I like to build stuff. And uh, after this split, um, people will say what they want, but the brain drain happened. Uh, and, and most of the devs uh, and most of the new research that's going on in this space is either Ethereum or trying to kill Ethereum. Like that's where a lot of it is happening. And so I am an engineer. Uh, I have a, a kind of academic leaning computer science background. I want to build new things. I want to help more people in the world. And, uh, and so I, it, you know, I just, there's not really a place for me to do that on Bitcoin's L1 today. Now, a lot of people would say, um, well, Matt, you could become a, a, a Bitcoin core dev. Like, why don't you do that? And it's like, well, guys, I'm a startup person. I don't have the, I'm, I would not make a good Bitcoin core dev. I, I know all of the tech, but I don't have the right, like I wanna build things that grow fast and that are interesting and that users tell me, talk to me about. I'm not like a st stable infrastructure um, C++ dev. And so, uh, and, and, and the fact that that's all that I get from Bitcoin people who are tech leaning, why don't you become a Bitcoin core dev? Like, you didn't have any other options for me as an engineer who's really excited about the space. So I think that Ethereum is one of the few places you can land. And I, and I think that's a real shame for Bitcoin. Um, but I also think that Bitcoin will do great either way. So. Yeah, I'm kind of curious though, Matt, um, like what's your assessment of the kind of the, the blooming L2 layer around Bitcoin? I think Lightning is the front runner there, but 
Um, there's a lot of other yeah. kind of technologies being developed there. We just had a podcast with Ben Carmen of Shured Bits talking about uh, discrete log contracts oh, and guys. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like how like Bitcoin hasn't necessarily stopped, yeah. even though it's not a Agreed. such a you know welcoming tech platform as Ethereum. Yeah. Like, yeah, so, like can yeah, you so talk just, about where Bitcoin is now? Yeah, and also let me just uh, I'm putting a, a maybe a little too shiny a picture on Ethereum as well. Like when I say brain drain. Most of the devs on Ethereum are not good. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we have a team of senior engineers and we miss something that, you know, from a Bitcoin devs perspective is obvious in, in our vulnerability. I think from an Ethereum perspective, oh yeah, that's really tricky. But no, it wasn't really tricky. It's just that uh, a lot of my guys weren't as familiar with Bitcoin and, and you can look in the commit history and see when we miss something. And um, so I guess what I also want to add is, even though a lot of the new work is happening on Ethereum, there's also a lot of noise that benefits from being near the good, legitimate new work. So that's also where you see where we saw the scams. That's also where we saw the incredible, even if they're not scams, over-promising of 2017 of tech that could never possibly be built in the next 10 years, but that got funded. Um, but anyway, coming back to Bitcoin. So there is work that's happening in Bitcoin. And given the products we work on and the fact that most of my personal wealth is Bitcoin, I, I do keep track. But um, uh, scriptless scripts, so let's actually go a little bit outside of Bitcoin, but then closely adjacent, so we're allowed to talk about it, like it passes the purity test. So scriptless scripts um, is like Bitcoin inspired, uh, and, and it really shows you the difference in, um, in kind of the technology philosophy between the two. So on Ethereum, we can use moon math and fancy weird proof systems, and we can also write uh, Turing complete bug ridden smart contracts. But in Bitcoin, uh, if you want to add something new, it needs to be very close to a signature scheme. It needs to only use cryptographic primitives that are, uh, you know, kind of the most paranoid person would choose. Uh, so it's just a very different way of looking at tech um, and very risk averse. So, so there is work coming out of there. Um, and uh, other things that I see, people talk about Schnorr. I actually think um, Schnorr is going to be great for Bitcoin, but calling it some grand technical achievement Mm -mm. Uh, I, I'm using uh, BLS signatures on Ethereum, and I've been doing it since 2017. And I can I can do everything and more that uh, that Schnorr will do. But what Bitcoin's going to have is an implementation that's secure uh, and that will not collapse the entire L1 and require an emergency hard fork. <laughs> so that's really um, so so the tech really is. Uh, behind but i have a lot of respect for it because it's this incredibly like risk averse tech and when you talk about like dlcs and stuff like that um the assumptions that you're making cryptographically are so slim compared to what you have to agree with when you're using like a snark or something like that anyway sorry i don't mean to get too much into the the crypto side but it really kind of shows um these guys on the conservative side literally don't believe in the same math as the guys on kind of the liberal tech heavy side. So in, in other podcasts, uh, you've described like Bitcoin as the monetary platform and Ethereum yep. as like the technology platform. Yep. Uh, so if that, if that doesn't accurately reflect your attitudes, no, uh, tell me totally. Okay. Cause I'm about to make my next statement on that, Go on that assumption. Um, so all of these systems, whatever crypto system that you, that you are, 
requires some sort of money to make it run, right? Like the native asset of a chain can't be worthless and have a, and you can't, and then you would have a, and if it was worthless, that chain would therefore be insecure and probably wouldn't work. So like, it's impossible to have like just a technology platform, right? Like, so Ethereum does have a monetary, like a monetary aspect to Ether, its native currency. And if it didn't, it would totally collapse as are the laws of, of crypto, right? Sure. So it can't only be a technology platform, right? And that, and, then, and I think I can make the same claim about Bitcoin, right? Where it can't only be a monetary platform. Ooh, it that's also where I has to be a technology <laughs> platform. Yeah. So like, how, how, how do you, um, how do you uh, resolve this, this juxtaposition between like money and technology versus technology sure. and money on these various chains? Um, we could get into a really circular thing. So I'll try to, I'll try to pin it down. So I think that I think that Bitcoin can survive as money without the technology. I'll just straight up say it. I think that Bitcoin's L1 can die a most horrific death. We might, we'll, maybe we'll still do something to make it look like it's still alive, you know? Um, but it's really irrelevant to the asset. And, and for me, the asset is um, this, this issuance schedule. That's it. And, and then uh, a, a social agreement that if anyone tries to change it, we will all rebel. Um, and so when Ethereans talk about, you know, block subsidies and whatnot, um, I've got, I mean, I've got a lot of responses because they might be right. I don't know what's going to happen uh, in, in a few havings, maybe. But in the meantime, what I know is this asset has uh, a schedule that I can trust. And I really don't care about the tech necessarily as long as I can keep my wealth in it. So on the other hand, like Ethereum, yes, Ether. It's a financial asset, and I and I I would not say that it doesn't have some. Actually, even Vitalik says this money-like aspects. Like, what did he say? Uh, is Ether money? Well, if people want it to be, okay. I mean, that's the same with like shells. I asked him sure. that question. That's uh, what you're referring to? Uh, got it. Nailed <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Beef. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a, I mean, it's a good question, and uh, you know, any anything can be money, and um, and so I think I think the underlying question that people really want to talk about is, can I make Ether worth more than Bitcoin? Like, that's what a lot of people are actually asking. And that, uh, that and, is right, totally. Right, right. Like, let's be real. And so, so maybe, um, for me, taking on central banks, uh, which is a singular focus or fairly singular focus now of Bitcoin, it wasn't always, but it is now, um, is a bigger thing than uh, anything that I've seen Ethereum tackle. So like what I like to say is Bitcoin's going after central banking and, and Ethereum, maybe it's going after retail, right? Which is still huge. Um, now, will Ether as an asset capture the value of the utility it brings to that space? I, I don't know, frankly. I think, that, um, I think that we've seen, and people don't like to admit it, I got into a Vitalik argument the other day and he played dumb, but I just, you know what? You have to know if you look at this tech that the way Ether is positioned relative to the technology stack, it doesn't make sense. Um, the idea of gas being a way to accrue value to Ether, it's a, it's a weak mechanism. So, so we really get micro, right? With Bitcoin, we're saying, you're gonna take on the world and you're gonna replace all money, like full, full Bitcoin maximalism. Um, and with Ether, you're talking about this tiny mechanism. And, and so it's, it's kind of interesting, like does Ether capture value, right, versus Bitcoin? Uh, does money capture value, right? So that's why I'm I'm long BTC and, and I'm also long ETH, but it, for very different reasons, right? For ETH, 
this is my Tesla and, and, and Bitcoin is, is uh, where actual money goes. Actually, I'll, I'll let David go. I think I feel like you have, you have something to say about that. Yeah, uh, not specifically about that, but maybe this leads back to this. Uh, you said the, the Bitcoin L1 could die. Uh, can, maybe can you, can you expand on that thought? <laughs> yeah. By the way, that's uh, like not what, what survive, what survive, <laughs> you're, you, you were talking about it in a reference to like the technology, right? Yeah. The technology would die, but Bitcoin would live on. And that's it, right. I think that's what I got, I got yeah. out of that. How, how would the Bitcoin, UTXO set? Yeah, this is the, the UTXO set. set. Yes. So yes, how does as, the UTXO set live on when the L1 dies? Yeah, so you can imagine a world where um, where the UTXO set has been committed to by every computer on the planet and we've taken the highest proof of work, you know, checksum stamp we possibly can of the UTXO set and then we move forward with totally different tech, right? And um, And I think that's quite valuable. And I don't know if or when that's going to have to happen. And you know what? If we do have to do that, the tech will probably have been invented on Ethereum. But it, it might not matter. So, so that's why, for me, like why I love this Bitcoin on X. Uh, and right now, that's primarily Ethereum because it's maybe the only other economically relevant blockchain I know. Um, but like Bitcoin on Ethereum, maybe Bitcoin lives on on Ethereum and the L1 struggles. Or, you know, another way to look at it is, Maybe Bitcoin's incredibly battle-tested, you know, kludgy, not fun to develop against, but stable tech. Maybe it lives on, and uh, and Ethereum is like subject to the monetary policy of Bitcoin. So I think people like to like do that, like which of these will win. But for me, it's like they're playing totally different games. You know, uh, I talk about Bitcoin, the asset, and Ethereum's are like, oh, but the tech. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. The people who hold this give zero shits about. Bitcoin, the technology, uh, you're not offering them anything that they care for. So, so one of the worlds I've envisioned in my head is, is that like, there's this mechanism to get Bitcoin on Ethereum, which there are now like WBTC is one, but I think we can safely assume that like, if Bitcoin does like, and the metaphor I like to, to take is like, uh, kind of how like humans talk about like uploading their consciousness to like the cloud or something where like Bitcoin uploads itself to a new substrate that it operates on. And if that substrate is hypothetically Ethereum, it's probably not going to be WBTC that is the mechanism for doing that. Let's say I doubt it. Yeah. I doubt it. Right. And perhaps uh, yeah. TBTC is that mechanism perhaps. where like uh, eventually all, and I've always uh, generated the metaphor of like Ethereum as this gravity well sucking yeah. in like, and you saw like uh, uh, WBTC got added to MakerDAO and compound. And then all of a sudden a lot more WBTC came to Ethereum. Right. Sure. And so like assuming that the values of uh, censorship resistant and trustlessness that are baked into TBTC, the system, we would could assume that TBTC would be that bridge to upload Bitcoin, all of Bitcoin to Ethereum. Is that I mean, a, a crazy sci-fi, like 2% chance happening type of world? I mean, that's a 0% that's a, chance. <laughs> that's a Matt wins type world. So I like uh-huh. that. Um, you know, it could happen. I, I think that, uh, most of these systems are going to struggle at the scale. So like my grand ambition is 10% of Bitcoin's issuance on Ethereum, but that's so ambitious. Just looking at the tech and doing some quick like back and napkin numbers. Um, I think that right now there are good economic reasons to, to think that um, Bitcoin's L1 will kind of keep doing exactly what it does. Um, and what also you know, what about think- Lightning too? 
Well, uh, if you want, I, but I want to, I, I got to hit Ethereum one more time, which okay. is, <laughs> which is, let's say we all do upload our consciousness or to follow the metaphor. So all Bitcoin is on Ethereum. You know, my question for you is, which is more valuable, Bitcoin or Ether? Yeah, no, I, I love this question. So right. like uh, BTC, all BTC on Ethereum, to which there is like 4,000 or 5,000 BTC on Ethereum now, something in that range. Closer to um, 8,000. Yep. 8,000. Oh, yeah. wow. Creeping up on me. Yep. Um, so all of that economic activity is paid to the Ethereum network, right? And so is what, it what, though? Because what I see is when I see Tether getting moved around, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not paying for the security it's getting. It's, it's a negative externality. Well, yeah, so it's, it's, well, why is it a negative externality? So the reason that I say that is because it's it's um, paying the miners. Well, it's doing a couple things. So, uh, so first just like state is not, there's not state rent period. So like that's already an issue. So on top of the other issues with, um, with these value capture and the fact it doesn't quite align with what it does. Um, you know, if you, if you want ether to be as valuable as the assets both on top of it, each transfer, you should take a piece of that asset. Like that's how you align the values and that's not how ether works. And that's not how it's going to work in POS, at least from anything that I've seen. Maybe people talk about economic abstraction and, and truly the second it can fully capture a percent value from everything mm-hmm. that's transferred, no matter the asset, I will be much more excited about ether, but I won't be excited until that's on mainnet. So roadmaps right. are not going to. Fair enough. Do it Fair me. enough. Um, so, so that, that mechanism is EIP 1559, right? Maybe. Where, where you don't get you don't get a share of the asset being transacted, but a share of ether gets burned, which is like contributing. It, uh, um, Pierre Richard would say like whenever people burn their bitcoins, they're increasing everyone else's buying power, yeah. and this is that same thing, right? Every transaction you make, you increase the buying power of all the remaining ether, which is all mainly uh, the stakers of Ethereum, and so like you do get this capital asset uh, for staking ETH. Yeah. Uh, coming from the issuance, and then you also get the appreciation for holding ETH coming from the burn, which is yeah. a function of the Ethereum economy. And sure. if Bitcoin has uploaded itself to the Ethereum economy, all of the uh, financial activity that's based on Bitcoin is being paid to Ether holders. No, and there's an easy counterexample. Well, so Hit first, me. I'm a big fan of this ETH. I, I think it at least we're addressing the problem, right? In the Ethereum space, like I was getting, you know, people are so optimistic in Ethereum that they gaslight you when you're a critic sometimes. And uh, and so it's been really nice that it's being addressed. It doesn't align interest with the asset on top and and the easy, just by itself, there are other ways. And the, But the easy demonstration of that is let's move all of Bitcoin over tomorrow. So let's just say I'll commit to the UTXO uh, set on Ethereum. Uh, imagine I have some data availability thing I'll hand wave. Um, if it never moves again, it doesn't ever contribute to the security of the network, right? And so, you know, the same arguments that people on Bitcoin can say about Lightning, oh, maybe Lightning is taking fees away from miners. You can make all of the same L2 arguments on, on Ethereum. So it's not really clear to me um, if this is a solvable problem using as general and expressive a system as Ethereum is, um, it can definitely get a lot closer. And I think that this ETH is a, is a good approach. Wait, is, is your counter argument the fact that like we move the state the state from Bitcoin over to Ethereum, but that doesn't mean that the Bitcoins on Ethereum are actually going to move and generate That's exactly economic activity? Right. That's but exactly right. They have to at, at some no. meaningful level. <laughs> no, they don't. Because Bitcoin's entire thing is store of value. And, uh, and you know, we've seen... Anyway, so this is an argument that, that we have in the Bitcoin space, but we don't have it publicly. 
because you're not allowed to have arguments about Bitcoin tech publicly or you'll be shamed. But it's um, but it's this idea of like the, the fee market and, and how it will develop and then how Lightning and other L2s will play with the fee market. Um, but I got to tell you, all of those problems are 10 times worse. If they are real problems, they're 10 times worse than Ethereum. Because with Bitcoin, you've got a very simple L1 and it's restricted. Um, and with Ethereum, there are so many hacks on the second layer and the third layer, depending on how you look at it. Um, so the application layer, I guess, in L2, there's so many hacks around the underlying economics that doesn't happen in Bitcoin. So like, I do think there's a real experiment going on here, um, which is obviously all of these things are valuable. Like people are all using these chains and, and cryptocurrencies. There must be some value, if, even if it's just speculative, but um, are they gonna pay for their own fees sustainably long-term? I think is an open technical question for, for both chains, for all chain designs I've seen. I definitely do not think that the Bitcoin base chain is going to die. And I actually don't buy into the, I don't buy into the fee argument at all. I think sure. that there's going to be Bitcoin either is irrelevant and dies, which is very possible, or Bitcoin is half of all value, a very large amount of value on earth. And there'll be a zero fee issue. And actually there'll be a zero subsidy issue because if the block reward increases in buying power, oh, it's going to buy a lot more security than it is now. Plus, we've already seen that Bitcoin ASICs don't die. Bitcoin ASICs continue to mine for a really long time, and they just find cheaper electricity. So we still see almost all the S9s that have been produced are still mining Bitcoin. If they haven't see? broken their mining, which is absolutely crazy. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I just think that people don't think about these economics at all. So this is what I'm getting, though, for... Um, you know, that feeling you just had where like, oh, no, not this argument. But this is what happens when you talk about this on the Bitcoin side. All, all of that is, um, it might be true. And I, I'm actually, it's the side of the bet that I take uh, for the most part. Um, but it's not, uh, you know, it's something that we say in our cult. It, like, it, it, there's no proof. You can't prove it to me um, that that's the case. The way that you prove things is by doing them, right? And so, like, um, it's just, it, we won't know until we get there is kind of my take. That said, Bitcoin has such a stronger narrative and I'm so much more confident that it's going to be alive in 15 years, for example, to choose a reasonable timeline than Ethereum, that for me, it doesn't matter. Like whether or not, um, whether or not that holds and we need to make no changes to the subsidy and no changes to issuance for, for security long-term, or if we need to add a tail emission, which I, you know, I'm, we get, I have gotten crucified on Twitter for mentioning before, either of those things is fine with me as long as it's the thing that stands the next 10, 20 years and can hold my money. And so that's why I keep talking about Bitcoin, the asset and not the tech. It's like, I, I sort of agree, <laughs> but I could be wrong. One thing I do want to bring up is like, I'm sure that you're very confident in Ethereum as a platform to, to build mm. on and nope. Okay, so I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I, so I'm, I'm curious because you said some strong things like, you know, if Bitcoin's future tech that the UTXO set gets yeah. transferred to, um, it, it is probably going to come from Ethereum. Like, that's a pretty strong statement. Oh, uh, no, I like, wouldn't. I, I think you're, no, that's overstated too. Sorry, this is the problem. Yeah, I that was just a hypothetical. This is one yeah. of many possibilities, yeah. right? Sure, sure, I sure. do not think that's how the world's going to go. What I, well, here, okay, so if I really tell you guys how I think the world's going to look, here's how I Please. think the world's going to look. There's going to be Bitcoin and there's going to be between two and six other chains. Those two and six other chains will have niches that matter. Most of those niches I expect are going to be technological. 
there might be another really powerful narrative like Bitcoin that's like, uh, you know, Ethereum's say meme coin, but I think that's great. It's a meme coin. Fantastic. That means religion, right? So like, um, so I see Bitcoin in the middle and then I see, you know, a few other chains off to the side and maybe one's a privacy chain, maybe one's the expressivity chain, maybe one's the, you know, really fast, cheap payments chain. Um, and then after that, there can be a number of L2s that kind of fractal off of that. So that's actually what I think is going to happen. Um, but I recognize that I could be wrong. Bitcoin could be subsumed. Ethereum could be destroyed. And Ethereum doesn't have to be one of those, you know, two to six chains in, in my worldview. So I just am trying to recognize that I could be wrong. Um, but I am ultimately a monetary maximalist and, and uh, expect that Bitcoin, the asset, is going to win in either of those scenarios. Matt, thanks for hashing it out. This was a fun episode. And uh, I think you touched on a lot of uh, very interesting things. So one of my favorite things about POV crypto is I feel like you don't get these conversations uh, in most other venues. So uh, thank you for coming on. Why don't you tell people where they can find you and uh, who you want to hear from? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, what I really want you to do is check out tbc.network and, you know, maybe just get your feet wet. Maybe just put a little Bitcoin in. Check out the Ethereum site. See what's up. Um, if you want to reach out to me directly, I'm MHLongo on Twitter and uh, looking forward to chatting. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This was a fantastic conversation and I really appreciate that the, that there are people like you who are straddling many camps and doing really good work in this space. Thanks for having me, guys. You can follow the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can follow me at Trust the State, both on Twitter and on Bankless. Christian. Yep, you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. Uh, make sure five-star reviews, guys. We're always trying to stack those reviews, and uh, the more we get, the better. Uh, this is something that David says on his other podcast, but there's a lot of 2017 junk podcasts out there, so uh, they're not making shows from what they did. They suck. So uh, help us up the charts. POV Crypto deserves it. Will you deceive?